0: Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Boome, and I hope everybody had a great break and got some time to relax and eat all the delicious foods. I'm having a really hard time adjusting back to real life. Hopefully, you are doing a better job at it than me. Today's guest is the actress and model Harry Neff. Uh, she's amazing and was really open and honest, which is the most important thing to having a great conversation. So let's get into it now.
1: I didn't know MDMA was developed for any other purpose than. Yeah. It was,
0: like... um, Well, the thing is, like, the... I think it was, like, the... At first, like, the army was kind of, like, trying to... This is getting off on a whole tangent, so... Yeah, let's go. Let's um, go there. (laughs) So, the army was trying to, like, get, like, mind control. They were trying to figure out, like, mind control drugs. So, that's why there was all these, like, early experiments that the army did on people, like, unknowingly. There's a lot of great uh, stuff out there. Um, If you're curious about it, I'll tell you about it, but (laughs) it's... (laughs) Yeah. So anyway,
1: <laughs> forget all that. Uh, where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up outside Boston, in yeah. Newton, Mass, little suburb, um, quiet. It's like a big city, kind of. It's not like urban, but it's large. It's bigger than a town. Yeah. Very Jewish. I'm okay. Jewish. Okay. It's changing so much right now. Like Newton is. Yeah, I keep coming home and all of like the charming little like post world war 2 like split levels are being replaced by McMansions. Oh, that's the worst. And I mean, listen, like I I live around the corner here in New York. I I live around the corner from a juice press and I go to juice press all the time. They're opening up a juice press <laughs> in Newton, Massachusetts in my hometown. This like little like New York like health food overpriced store. <laughs> what was your experience growing up there like? Oh, it was it was, it was fun. I mean, pretty pretty good public school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what uh, how do you feel about it when you look back on well, it? Well, right, I mean, like like Newton is a really cute place to grow up. Like it like nothing happens there. There's always, you know, this sense of like you're from Newton, you're getting this, like, enlightened, liberal Massachusetts, like, well-funded public school education, Mm -hmm. like, you can go out in the world and do whatever you want. That, like, that's a town of all, everybody's like that. That's, like, the song of Newton, and, like, I love Newton, but at the same time, I feel like Newton, and probably Massachusetts in general, is kind of, like, up its own butt a little bit about, like how, like, liberal and enlightened they are, like, Miss Queen of the North, like, it's really not like that at all. But they tell themselves it is? Well, yeah, they don't, they don't, um, like, really harbor any, like, strong prejudices or, like, opinions about anything, Mm -hmm. which just allows a lot of things to kind of fall through the cracks. I'm not talking about just Newton specifically. Like, like, I kind of thought, like, growing up, like, because I lived, like, Seven miles away from Harvard, that like I was, you know, clearly around like the coolest, smartest people mm-hmm. in the country, but it's so not true. Like right. everybody's up their own butt. <laughs> no, no, but, but Newton was great. It's, yeah. it's, it's safe. It was like the third, it's like the third safest city in America. Mm-hmm. I think there are really high standards for like kids there, mm-hmm. which. I think was really hard for, like, me and, like, a lot of people I grew up with. Like, there's a lot of issues, like, in the public, in, like, the public high schools particularly there are, too, with, like, depression and, like, a whole bunch of, you know, it, 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 it got a little dark a couple years ago. Like, after I left, there was, like, all this stuff in the news.
0: Like, is it from, like, pressure to succeed kind of stuff? Yeah,
1: it's, it's, like, right, like, it's so competitive. Like, everybody's got to go to the best college. Because there are all these resources. Right. And so everybody's like, you know, I I, I just remember like high high school for me was so much harder than college.
0: Yeah. Well, how do you think being in that environment shaped who you are?
1: Um, I think it just gave me a really high tolerance level for like work and pressure and stress and scrutiny. Mm -hmm. I think that because this you know the standards were so impossibly high i feel like since i've left i've sort of like cut out all of the negative stuff but kind of like kept that sort of tiger mom ethos in a couple aspects of my life where they could maybe just help me like 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 i'm 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 used to just like no one in Newton is lazy, and if you are, you're like a pariah. It's yeah. like it's like kind of gross because it doesn't account for people with like learning disabilities or mental health issues, or like you know it, it it it's 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 very like democracy capitalism in that way. It's just like everybody's gonna do great, yeah, because <laughs> they have to. <laughs> what, what, what kind of kid were you growing up? I was like weird, mm-hmm. but I distracted everyone from how weird i was by being like good at stuff
0: <laughs> i know exactly what you do, know. Do, do, i know i completely you know, know what, what you mean. mean i
1: do you know it was
0: uh you know i could wear i could you know paint my nails and wear like my marilyn manson t-shirt that said beware of god on it like as long as i was getting good grades and like not getting in trouble.
1: Why are you talking about my childhood?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up on the East Coast as well. Well, yeah, I mean It's like, you know, just just get good grades and then you can do whatever you
1: want. I I, I was wearing that T shirt and that nail polish <laughs> in seventh grade.
0: We were probably also maybe like hanging out at the malls at the same time in oh, like yeah. different places. Native you know? collection. <laughs> just kind of keeping everything status quo so you could kinda of get into the zones of the things that were interesting to
1: you. Yeah. Right. I think that I was Offered a lot of, like, resources and options. How so? You know, it's like, oh, like, you want to do theater? Here's a bunch of opportunities for you to do theater. Like, oh, do you you, want to take an art class? Right. Here's an art class. Like, after school, you can do the cartooning class, like, for free with tax dollars. Like, fun. Like, you know, um, you want to dye your hair? There's, like, a really cool shop where you can buy comics and hair dye. Mm -hmm. Like, there were a lot of things just, like available to me like i you know grew up you know kind of like in this like upper middle class suburb like just like the most casual privilege that right. never interrogated itself or acknowledged itself
0: so it was like a thing if like if you dyed your hair green it wasn't you weren't freaking out people they're just like oh yeah that's cool just you don't be yourself
1: no i was freaking oh. out people but they couldn't say anything because i got better grades than their kid <laughs> you know or like whatever like I I I went through you know starting in middle school I went through so many phases and I think people just kind of got used to with me like you know basically structured around like music internet and like general subcultures Mm -hmm. like I was really into like emo and scene music so I dressed that way then I like then the new rave thing happened and I was super into that
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and then it was kind of more about like making mixtapes for my friends and like listening to dirty projectors and like taking photos on a film camera, but I could take photos on a film camera for credit in high school. So it was like all part of this kind of little bubble I was in. Um, Were
0: you getting to go to Boston to go to shows and get to experience kind of uh,
1: culture and stuff that was happening there? Yeah, a little bit, like a little bit. I, you know, when I started kind of like, hanging out outside you know like I like after after I stopped using the word play date is like really when you like mark it <laughs> you know it's like first I was like hanging out getting up to no good and like you know Newton Center but then it's like you go to Cambridge and you hang out with like the homeless goth kids who hang yeah. out in the pit like you can it's, I used to I when I lived in Boston that summer I used to hang out there yeah yeah the pit kids it was yeah. it, it was like it was like when Marie Antoinette would dress up as like I um like a peasant shepherdess mm-hmm. and like run around in the country for a couple of days in this fake house, like to pretend she was like down to earth and then she would go back. And that's that's like, what your experience was there. Like, yeah. That's like what I did. Yeah. I, I, I could like do drag of like a cool person. <laughs> right.
0: It was the same thing here too in New York. Like, you know, like when St. Mark's was like filled with punks, like in squatters and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. I remember this one girl that we were friends with, like she was this big squatter, squat punk. And like her dad was the, president of the nba yeah you know so it's like you know you like it was that exact experience that you were mentioning that seems to happen a lot i think in those scenarios like a lot of like times when i've like been on tour and i've met you know kids that are kind of like not so much runaways but like just like homeless on purpose by choice they usually like oftentimes like come from like a lot of
1: privilege yeah i mean i i think um not everybody i'm saying but i've come across that more often than not I think that when you get to a certain age where you understand a little bit more about the world and the way the world is stratified in terms Mm -hmm. of privilege, and then you look at where you come from, and oftentimes if you find yourself having grown up in a position of privilege, I think that, you know, you experience a certain amount of, like, guilt. It's like, it's, it's like a very typical thing, but it's like, it's like what you do with that guilt, I think, defines, you know, that's, that's where the accountability is taken. Mm. I feel like if you have it, you just have to do something with it. Exactly. That, like, I mean, oh, this is getting so corny in college no. right now. No, it's okay. But it's okay. You know, I mean, it's like in a, like it's 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 not like my parents are like bajillionaires. I don't get any money from them now. I paid for you know I they didn't pay for all my college. Right. You know, barely any of it. In 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 a certain sense, like, you know, I'm. It's 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 not like my dad's Donald Trump.
0: What was the path that you wanted to follow um, from high school? Do you remember thinking or plotting or scheming what you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I I wanted to move to New York and be an actor and like like a cool person who lived in New York. <laughs> yeah, like I wanted to be like cool and hot and like be an actor
0: was there, I mean were there were there
1: <laughs> No, I love that. I love that. That's that, great. Well, well, when
0: I was 18, that's what I wanted. <laughs> that's cool. I still think that's a cool you know thing to want you know thing to aspire to. But were there was there somebody that you looked up to, somebody you wanted to
1: aspire to? Um I was always really into like Chloe Sevigny. Mm-hmm. I was super just into the way she kind of, not like, you know, just just like the way she took it from this, like, you know, from her friends in New York, she took kind of this, I guess, sort of career in New York as like, I don't want to say amused because I feel like that word's really demeaning to women, but like she was doing fashion and film and like just collaborating with her friends in a very authentic way. And she took it all the way to Hollywood mm-hmm. to the Oscars. Yeah. Like that narrative seemed really authentic to me and something like that I could aspire to without feeling like a dork. She just followed me on Instagram like a couple of weeks ago. So I'm That's like huge. I know. I like <laughs> cried. I, 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 I I didn't cry, but I, I was, I was really excited if she's listening to this right now. I, yeah want to shout out to her and say that I thought you didn't like me when we met but, <laughs> but I guess you like me enough to follow me so I'm just gonna <laughs> well that t- I mean
0: shut up <laughs> that time like that like New York was a very intimidating exciting awesome time then
1: well I mean you're definitely not going to find a, a sustainable lifestyle in New York where the thing that you do for money does not in some way interface with the thing you really want to do right because you have to spend so much if not all of your time hustling for the money exactly
0: so you have this path you want to move to new york you want to be an actor and what do you do to make that happen
1: even you know i i say that now as if it's like an abstract thing i was saying it then as if it were an abstract thing i didn't that was just kind of the song I sang when people asked me why I was moving to New York and I'm still singing it. Um, But I, 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 I went to Columbia. I was going to just like do my four years. I thought I was gonna like, you know, just go to class and maybe go downtown a little bit to go out, you know, party. What were you going to study? What did you want to spend your time studying?
0: Theater. Drama.
1: I just wanted to, you know, do theater and then like, you know, be in New York, break into the industry, like, you know, do all that. And I thought it was just going to be very a very direct, clear-cut path from fall 2011 to spring 2015. I thought it was going to be simple. And was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> um, I mean, in a way, that's exactly what I did. But there were a lot of, you know, very important things and unexpected that unfolded in those four years that have really shaped not only what I do today, but who I am. I mean, in a way, I got exactly to the point B that I thought I was going to get. I just didn't, it just wasn't the route that I thought I was going to take I mean, to that, get there. That's how life works, though. Life's <laughs> what happens when you're making plans. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, um yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of things happened. I mean, I kind of like, like, I guess the fashion stuff sort of unfolded on its own. You know, I, I, I did like a semester interning at like a cool downtown theater that I had read about in a textbook and was super. Was, was at La Mama. I'm not. I'm not gonna drag them because it was an awful experience. Okay. Um, it, 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 wasn't La Mama, okay. but it, but it working there was awful. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, what else can I enter in that I'm interested in? Oh, I'm like into fashion. I've been following that for a while. So I started interning in fashion and then like, I was, you know, getting into performance art a little bit, mm-hmm. like feeling kind of alienated from the acting stuff. And
0: do you remember stuff that you were seeing that kind of turned you on to that?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I interned for a performance artist named Joseph Keckler that I got connected with by this woman, Jerry Visco, who I worked for in the classics department at Columbia, who was also, like, this very colorful, giant personality, like, nightlife woman that I had, like, met at a party or something mm-hmm. who wore, like, crazy neon colors to, like, her office job in Columbia every day. She's also, like, in her 60s, yeah, late 60s. I think late 60s, maybe mid or late 60s. So, you know, I, I all of a sudden I kind of, like, went down this rabbit hole and I was, like, I'm sick of doing traditional acting. Like, they want me to play male roles. And, like, I feel like I'm just, you know, cooler and queerer than that. And, you know, I'll go downtown and, like, do performance art and, you know, engage with my gender critically. And I'll intern for, like, all these fashion things. Like, I'm just <laughs> going to, like, really take a bite out of New York and a lot happened you know I had a mate I had like a big relationship and I um changed genders Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh my god that's such a gross way of saying it I you know came (laughs) I I I I came to a realization that I would be happier living being embodying in the female space mm-hmm. you know that was a big part of my college experience was right. it a
0: supportive environment though for it was all totally, that
1: it was totally a supportive environment i mean people i mean listen like i <laughs> honey <laughs> i have i am so impressed that i have even gone this long without even saying the word trans Mm -hmm. (laughs) or without even talking about my gender identity. I I wanted to see how long I could go.
0: Well, I mean, I don't have any questions about it. I just want to, I know, I just want to, you know, but it's a part of, it's
1: a part of your experience. But that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I hate to sort of like perpetuate this myth of transition solving all of a person's problems Mm -hmm. or like creating you know, a point blank self-actualization. Like, obviously people are more complicated than that, but it wasn't until I had these realizations about myself, which were not, it was, this was not something I knew lifelong. It was something that I had searched for and like tried to manifest on separate levels until I came to the conclusion that this was the way that it was going to be best for me to be. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But it was after that, that you know the fashion thing became this modeling thing and then yeah, how did that happen i went on hormones and became more conventionally attractive Mm -hmm. as a female my face softened my waist shrunk i looked like you know a cool androgynous girl to people instead of like you know, this dude that I looked like before. I mean, I st- I still kind of look like a dude, but, like, in a cute way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, people, it, it, it was really just, like, my f- f- photographer friends, like, Mike Bailey Gates, Petra Collins, like, being like, hey, can I shoot you for something? And I'm like, yeah, never done this before. And then the shoot would wind up in, like, ID Magazine. What was that experience like for you? Did you enjoy it? Of course I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. I always wanted to be beautiful I never felt beautiful when I was a person who was presenting as male and like I wasn't any more beautiful after shooting a fashion editorial than I was before it but it was like the it's the most conventional affirmation of your physical beauty that you possibly can have and after so many years of kind of like trying to figure out how not to hate my body you know I still hated my body a little bit but it was like I just never thought that people would see me like that. You know, I I won't say it didn't feel good. Of course it felt good. Since, you know, that was the original rush, now it's more of a negotiation, like trying to do this more sustainably day to day, trying to feel beautiful on my own terms and not just have it come from...
0: a validation.
1: Yeah, because you can get so dependent on it. But... You know, yes, the fashion and modeling stuff kind of happened on its own terms. That was its own narrative. What I want to get back to is this idea about acting. Right. You know, I had gone off and fucked off for a couple of years kind of doing this, like, performance art thing because I was, um, I I felt alienated from, like, conventional, you know, theater, film, television, casting practices. But I was able to sort of return to it when I began transitioning. Mm -hmm. In the theater department at Columbia, I was like, hey, everyone, I'm back. Like and i'm only going to play female roles now. Like this is what's going on. And like i had to send emails to the department being like i'm transitioning. Like don't call me back for male roles. Not that i had any precedent for that, but Right. Did it feel good to be able to say that? I well, yeah. It it well it w- it w- it was hard. It was like i remember the first time i auditioned with a female monologue. You know, um i am so much better of an actor since transitioning yeah since beginning my transition that i than i ever was before it and i think it's just about the body thing you just feel better it's probably just psychological but but that also that that's it's how you carry yourself it's what you project to other people yeah exactly it's all
0: it's all one thing
1: and then by the time i was graduating like i had kind of gotten to that point b where i I am. Um, before I found out that I was going to do Transparent, I was actually booked to do a show off Broadway, um, which unfortunately I had to drop when I heard about Transparent. But I was like, you know, even before I knew I was
2: mm, gonna be on TV, yay! Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, I was like, yay! I got to this like actor place, like yeah. I did, you know, because I I was scared I wasn't gonna make it. Well, that's I
0: mean that's you know relatively quick too. Yeah. You know a lot of people you know. It takes a long while to get where they got to go.
1: Yeah. I kind of just took the things that appeared, that appealed to me on the most visceral level and just like ran with it. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's like, that's just about the gist of it, I guess. Do you know where the, your love of acting came from? I think, um, <clears> Hm. <throat> that's a really tough question. <laughs> it was a dark and story. Night. <laughs> um, my, my, my my mom and my dad divorced when I was two and I moved to Newton with my mom when I was like two Hmm. and my mom didn't you know remarry until she was five and you know everybody uh, until I was five and then everybody was remarried by the time I was 10 or something but I feel like you know like living like you know like in Newton with my mom single mother and like you know, going to visit my dad all the time in Philadelphia. I'm not saying it was, like, traumatic or anything like that, but I think that this idea of, you know, an idea that identities and relationships were fluid Mm -hmm. was something that manifested itself in my life from a very early age. Like, if this person's wife didn't want to be this person's wife anymore, she didn't have to be, you know mom could still be mom and dad could still be dad and they didn't have to live in the same house and And that's okay yeah and I feel like you know I had a lot kind of going on in my life I had two separate households it was like a lot for a kid Mm -hmm. it's a lot for any kid so I feel like I kind of you know found a sense of stability by I don't want to say I dissociated but like I could play, like, my Game Boy, like, both in Philadelphia and Massachusetts. Like, I could bring, like, my Barbie with me. I could, like, I could kind of manifest my own reality that felt more secure and knowable Mm -hmm. than what was around me. So that's just make-believe. That's just not living in the real world. That's, like telling a story to yourself that you think is worth telling. So I kind of just became really into like stories and storytelling and playing make believe because I felt like I had control. I don't act for control. It kind of just like turned into this thing where it's like I can play make believe as a job. Like that's all I want to do all day Mm -hmm. and I can do it as a job. And I started doing it when I was five, and I just never really stopped. It's been with me forever. I feel like my, you know, I don't want to say that my transition was a destination, but I definitely think it was the first big milestone in my life in terms of, like, I'm, like, searching for a way to be in the world that feels good. And I feel like acting was always something that I explored that with. Like, Mm. I, 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 I got to audition... You know, I I got to read Lady Macbeth in a callback once when I was still presenting as male, and I knew how good that felt.
0: How, How do those things inform your style and approach to taking on roles? Which things? Just the things that we were just kind of talking about, just, you know, drawing upon this kind of desire to want to create these realities for yourself that are a part of, like, what's going on in front
1: of you. I, I think a lot of the roles, or uh, uh, many of the roles that I've tended to get in the past, I, I, I think people like to see me play like difficult characters, like mm-hmm. perhaps villains or perhaps unsavories in a way, because I tend to sort of play those characters, like they're the heroes. Okay. Like, I have a lot that I like struggle with in acting, But I think one of the strengths I have is, like, not judging my characters. Because there was never, like, a baseline set of morality that I ever clung to as a kid. Like, I think I, you know, I had a really difficult time with, like, in my teens with my parents. I was fighting with them all the time. Because I felt like I was always thinking about, like you know, how nothing is real and everything's make-believe and, like, things are unstable. Like, I was, like, I knew what, like, a social construct or a discourse was, like, when I was five. Like, not because I knew what it was, but <laughs> yeah. because I saw that, like, they didn't really exist. Right. You know, I, I know, I've never really been a moral or spiritual person in the traditional sense, so I feel like that's why people... You know, it's it's like I'm never gonna judge a character. Like there's a I mean, there's a lot I mean, I you know, as an actor I I overthink, mm-hmm. I like I pause too much, <laughs> I like struggle following through to the end of my lines, you know, I I'm still getting better at it and I'm still training. But I think that's one thing that I do well is like not judging my characters and kind of like, you know, Anyway, I'm just going to cut off. Okay, and... I, was, I was waiting. I didn't want to <laughs> like. I didn't want to
0: cut you off. Let's talk a little bit about uh, transparent. What was your experience like working on that? I know that like Jill Soloway like makes a big effort to make that experience really comfortable and 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 as honest as as can be. She does. for everybody involved. And what's it like to work in that environment?
1: It was a blessing. I mean, my dream was coming true, so I didn't really care what was <laughs> happening. They could have been like. stabbing me with a pitchfork and I would have been thrilled to be there. No, that sounds so cynical. No, it was, it was, it was like, I mean, not only was it this amazing thing happening to me for my career, whatever, but it was also just like the safest space I'd ever worked in. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, let's, let's, let's go to the gender identity thing. Cis people never have to show up to work like, You know, thinking about their gender a lot. I mean, like, women, yes, but they don't have to be afraid of, like, being misgendered. Mm -hmm. They don't really have to think about the way their gender is being, you know, portrayed or pitched to someone you know, in the way that trans people do. I mean, you know, you can make a lot of these parallels to women, but trans people have this special experience where, like, not only their body, but, like, what they say about their body and identify about their body is, like, has this, like, profound difficulty interfacing with, like, the most basic paradigms of the way people see bodies and identities. Mm -hmm. That was the most convoluted, awful like, grammatically weird sentence I've ever said, but that's what I said. It's just, like, hard. And I didn't have to worry about any of that on the set of Transparent. Everybody knows what everybody's pronouns are, and if you want to talk about it, you can. You know, I didn't have to think about, like, you know, fitting a sample size that didn't, you know, wrap around my giant rib cage. (laughs) I didn't have to worry about having my trans body, you know, fall under a harmful you know, lens behind which a cis person was standing with no trans people advising him. Right. I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. I could actually surprise just act and work and, and be it, what, present. What did that what did that do for
0: your acting overall, just not having to have that be a factor in your in your thinking?
1: It made it stronger. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get strong so I can be as good as I was on that set. And you know what? Like, I was good. Yeah. I am, I'm really happy with how I did. And I think I did the best work of my life because I was in the most welcoming environment of my life and the most, no, I don't, I won't even say trans friendly. I just mean like gender chill. Just people just being, yeah. Being warm and friendly people being war- like 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 warm and friendly but still woke like mm. like not being so lax that you're not acknowledging like what the individual needs of the people that you're working with are right and i feel like on an acting set you really need that um it was really cool to be around so many trans people you know the we had a writer a director producers you know, someone who worked in accounting, the Mm -hmm. PAs. There were trans people everywhere. The people driving me to set, the people driving me from my trailer to set. Like, you know, it was so cool to just be around trans people because, you know, usually, you know, even if you're like doing your own little thing, you're kind of, a lot of the time, I mean, more often than not, I'm the only trans person in the room, which is fine, but it makes a difference to be around more.
0: Mm -hmm. So aside from... From that
1: show, what would, uh, what would your dream,
0: have you ever thought of like what your dream role or collaborators, who would those people be?
1: I'd love to work with, oh my god, there's so many people I want to work with. That's
0: fine, with. I'm just who's the first person that comes to mind?
1: I'd love to work with like Alex Ross Perry, mm-hmm. I'd love to work with Noah Baumbach, or like Lars von Trier, yeah. or... Martin Scorsese. No, <laughs> no, God, no I but I mean, I but <laughs> what is it that you like about their work? What, do you, what draws you to it? I mean... I'm sure I, it's different for each person you just mentioned, but... I mean, you know, I, I, I'm also thinking about, like... I wouldn't say it so much about those filmmakers, but I'm always really fascinated to watch films by directors who, like, maybe, like, you know, I, I would actually, you know, like, actually, let's, let's put Lars von Trier on the stand here. Okay. You know, there is a little bit of a, re- you know, he has a little bit of a reputation. hmm You know, people say he hates women, mm-hmm. etc. But I feel like the reason I like so many of his films is that, like, you know, let's say in the worst world that, like, Lars von Trier hates women, and he directs like he hates women, and he writes like he hates women. But, like, he always casts really amazing actresses. Always. And I feel like when you take a pro you know, it, it when, when when you take either a project or a director that is misogynistic and cast a really, really talented actor in it, it like stops being about like this awful woman and starts being about a woman who like loves herself and like is very powerful. They can
0: transcend like whatever negativity like he might be putting into it.
1: Exactly. You know? And I, I'm so I'm I've always just been fascinated by the power um, an actress has to sort of bend the male gaze mm-hmm. to her favor because yeah. that's all we frickin' get in cinema. Like there are so few female directors, producers, etc. But there are plenty of actresses and we've been, you know, in the service of men for so long. And I think that You know, I I, want to be a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, seek something through performance that, you know, transcends the male gaze. I don't really know what that is, but i all you know, I mean i I feel like you know, I just saw Queen of Earth by Alex Ross Perry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love to work with Todd Haynes, you know i I, did I, you see Carol I just saw, yet? I, I just saw Carol <gasps> right, like you know like it's it's men i i I'm masterful so, I'm fascinated by these men who make films about women and manage to make good films <laughs> like how did you do it? I think it's because they choose their talent really well in a lot of cases. I mean, they're amazing masterful filmmakers, you know, particularly Todd Haynes, like that was such a cool film to watch it was great um I mean I you know but like but like even beyond them it's like I am um, I had lunch with Lena Dunham recently and we've been talking a lot and I'm like collaborating with her a little bit and I would love to work with her right. on something like I would love to continue to work with Jill Sally I'd love to work with either Gia or Sofia Coppola <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know I I, I want to work with women
0: well, one thing I always say to my friends when we talk about this kind of stuff, um, I always bring up Point Break. Because Point Break is an action film directed by Catherine Bigelow, who's amazing. Sure. And there's a reason that movie stands out from every other action film. There's a reason it feels different. There's a reason that it's just so unique and still so amazing. And it's like, And it's campy. But like for an action film, if we're talking about the genre, like it's one of the best there is. And it's like, I don't understand why. I mean, in all of her stuff, too, like, you know, The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, for like, that style of film, like, she's got it, like, better than everybody else, and I just don't understand why there's not, it's it's so clear to me, you know, as someone who loves film, that, you know, that, like, women are bringing, like, these different, you know, experiences and viewpoints to the way that they tell stories, and that, like, they're just not being given the chances that they that, that, that they should be, I think.
1: I mean, if you want some tea on that, I feel like one of the big reasons, you know, there are so many reasons why Transparent succeeds, Mm -hmm. but I feel like one of the big reasons it succeeds is because Jill not only is a woman, but creates, you know, cinema, television, whatever you want to call it, in an expressly feminine way and i don't mean like girly no i mean she doesn't work with you know the ego and intense control that you tend to get from male directors Mm -hmm. she doesn't stand in front of the army with the sword leading it she stands behind the army and coaxes everyone forward to choose their own adventure right and i feel like that experience as an art maker is you know it, it it's 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 feminine because when you're a male art maker it's all about the work and the piece every and line every ego, every, and your line, ego. every e- you know right like and i feel like you know i think people are like oh my god this show is so next level like yeah, i mean it is next level but like is it next level or is it just made by a woman like right. like how about you, you could probably get some more next level shit on your TV if you had more women on it. Like, not on it, but making the right. stuff. You know, Genji Cohen, Shonda Rhimes, like, people freaking love these shows. I know. How many crappy shows are there written by men? Like, a lot. Yeah. I feel like the ratio is probably higher. Well that's the thing, it's like I I I want the Rotten Tomatoes analytics on this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what 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 are the frustrating moments for you when you're trying to make it as an
1: actress? I mean, listen, ask me in a couple months because mm-hmm. the transparent honeymoon is over. Right. And the entire beginning of my career was all about like I'm on honeymoon with transparent and mm-hmm. like this is my break and Yippee hooray. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, okay, the show came out. I don't have acting management. Right. I'm still trying to find acting management. Like I'm just, so like, let me get back to you after I find that. Mm-hmm. Let me get back to you after like, they send me audition on auditions. If they send me on auditions, like, or like, like let me let you know about like what ratio of, you know, these auditions or readings or whatever I'm going to do goes, well, like, I'm at the beginning of that now. I kind of feel like a lot of, you know, it's, it's so about the bottom line with so many of these people and so many of these institutions. It's so about money. And it's so not about, like, even an investment and the promise of money. It's more about, like, what can you make me tomorrow? And it's the same thing with modeling, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, from a management perspective, I'm, I mean, I found this with model management and now going out for acting management. I, you know, I, I, I understand that for whatever reason, I'm not necessarily, like, you know, a typical proposition for an actress that you can, like, you know, send out on a whole bunch, you know, a young 23-year-old actress that you can, like, send out on a bunch of shit. Like, or, or, or or maybe I am. Mm -hmm. But, you know... I, I hope that's what you see because that's kind of what I see. Yes. But I hope that's what other people see too. So I have a lot of reservations. I have a lot of doubts. But I've like a lot of any a lot of the reservations and doubts I've had about myself and my career over the past years have, you know, proven themselves to be not very useful and occasionally not very true. So yeah, I'm optimistic, but. I'm a little anxious because I'm just kind of starting my journey.
0: Well, what, what's, what are the things that you think, you know, make all that struggle worth it?
1: The work. Ugh, if I could just get to like work every day, I know I'd be happy.
0: I know the feeling. I am
1: my happy place. People like, like, like my happy place is rehearsal. Mm-hmm. I am never happier <laughs> in rehearsal. Cause I'm not worrying about the, like the final product. Like right. how am I doing? I'm not looking for a job. I'm just like in this You're process, it. Yeah. working with my friends with like an unlimited promise of time before me. I just, I'm so happy when I'm working yeah. and I'm so depressed when I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I
0: know that feeling. I completely, completely understand. I was talking to my, um, my producer the other day and I was like, what, like, what are we going to do next? Like, what can we do next? Like, I just need to be directing. I'm the best version of myself when I'm directing, when I'm working on a project when I'm shooting, it's, like, the happiest Me I am, too. you know?
1: Because otherwise, I just have too much time to think about stupid... <laughs> stupid. <laughs> poopy shit. Dumb <laughs> shit, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, can I, I want to ask you a question, you know, and, and this comes from a place of, of like, of love, honesty, and, and curiosity. You know, as a cisgender man, what... You know, what is... What, what can we be doing to make the trans experience better? Like, what do we need to be doing better?
1: Check your privilege and share your resources. Mm -hmm. There's not like one sentence I could say, obviously that would encapsulate everything you could do for trans people. But I would say the most important thing you can do is ask like what you just did is so important. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you've, you know, I have, you know, you, I mean, just sitting here and talking to you, you're clearly a good person. Okay. And you're not an (laughs) asshole. But it's like, but it's like, you know, if you're not sure what somebody's pronouns are, ask. Right. And until you ask, you know, I'm trying to get the word out there right now about gender neutral pronouns. If you don't know somebody's pronouns, like my friend's picking me up. Oh, when are they picking you up? Oh, I'm going to the doctor. Oh, where is their office? Mm-hmm. You know, not assuming people's genders down to like the androgynous gender queer person you like meet at a party, and you don't want to assume anything. Gender neutral pronouns always work, and it's perfect English. Yeah. So, bada-bing. That's a start. That you know that that that's a start, but but also like. I mean, what the trans community needs now, more than anything, is our rights. We need legislation. Mm-hmm. Because in 32 states, you can be denied employment or housing based on your gender identity for being trans or gender nonconforming. Only nine states mandate trans-related health care in statewide health care programs. 41% of trans people will attempt suicide before the age of 18. Homelessness were twice as likely to be homeless. Trans people of color, four times. I could go on. Right. This starts with white cisgender men. Like, in congress. <laughs> yeah. Like do you like, yeah. like 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 do you know what I mean? Like of like like I don't know what you can do in so far as that, but like This is a community that needs a lot more resources than it has and a lot more love than it's given and just a lot more understanding. Mhm. And a lot less stigma. Like, gosh, I don't even know how to even begin to answer the question you asked me. Okay. That's okay. I mean, 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 have I at least... I've got, you know... Like, 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 to a certain extent... I mean, like, obviously, you can't change the laws. I can't go change laws, but... But you can change the way, you know, you can change what you do. Yes. You know, I... Feel like, I mean, you know, I, I would just encourage not only, you know, I, I would encourage anyone who isn't trans or gender nonconforming to, I guess, think about their relationship to gender mm-hmm. and interrogate the ways that they have benefited from staying on the side that they were assigned and to think about what people give up when they go to the other side mm-hmm. or some other side, you know,
0: they go somewhere else.
1: I mean I mean I mean to be honest like you know I in in and like even like you know in terms of sexuality like interrogate what is actual, like, 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 what, like, what, what makes you straight? What makes you gay? Like, are you fetishizing gender or are mm-hmm. you fetishizing, like, you know, the body that somebody was born with, like, which are two separate things, Completely. you know? It's yeah. like, it's so complicated. I think that as long as this is in the air and, I mean, and it's not in it's not just about like you know binary trans stuff. Like we have to include non-binary people, mm-hmm. and you essentially just like like it like it's in an ideal world. It would be just as easy for a cis person to use the correct pronouns for like a trans a trans woman, let's say, who passes completely, as it is for like perhaps a very masculine looking person who maybe even hasn't started her transition. You know, you should be able to treat that person with the same amount of dignity as a woman as you should with the person who, you know, quote unquote, passes. Right. Like, we're trying to get to a point of acknowledging gender based on what they say, not what their body says. Right. Okay, that's, that's where I'm going to stop my press okay, release. That was good.
0: That was good. <laughs> okay. Last question. Um, you know, what's next for you? Where do you want Where do you want to go with it?
1: I just want more work. Yeah. I just want to keep working. Mm-hmm. Um. Modeling's going really well right now. Yeah, and I mean acting's going real really well right now too. I mean I'm trying to figure out what my next project is. There's there are some exciting things in the air. That's great. There's nothing confirmed.
0: That's how it always is.
1: Um, maybe none of them will confirm. Maybe right. they'll all confirm, and I'll have to choose one. I don't know. Um,
0: it's a brutal game.
1: It it it's a brutal game. I mean I'm I'm trying I'm going back to writing. I want to. I, I definitely want to educate myself a little bit and study, but I would love to, you know, write something that I could also act in because mm-hmm. I think that's important. Definitely, you know, Jill and like Lena are like bullying me into doing that. They're like, "All right, welcome to the Women in Hollywood Club. Like, stop <laughs> waiting for the phone to ring, <laughs> start making your own shit." I'm like, "But mom," they're like, "Stop." <laughs> um, so I'm I'm reading a book about screenplay writing right now. Great, um, that Lena gave me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good in the hood. I'm really optimistic and, you know, I'm trying to remember, it's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. You can't be working all the time no. and you have to like figure out how to be chill in the chill moments. No. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Awesome. But I'm, I'm happy.
0: Harry Neff, thank you so much for coming and do this.
1: Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me, too.